my mom had a lot of fear around sexuality. And I feel like there were these stories growing up that are like little snippets that would come out. My family is, my mom's side is Native American. And, you know, definitely a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with immigration, Mm -hmm. like Native children were taken away and put in boarding schools Mm -hmm. and they were taught to unlearn their Native tongue and speak English and and who knows what kind of abuse Mm -hmm. was happening there. But sort of the messaging and the Mm -hmm. feel more the feel, less the messaging, actually, was that sex was something that was dangerous. Mm. And it was something that you really had to be afraid of. Hi, I'm Lucy Caldwell, and welcome to Life Revealed, featuring deeply personal conversations that help us tune in to what matters most. Together, we will forge new paradigms for how we think about ourselves, our lives, and the society we want to create. 2018 has been a watershed year in the world of human sexuality. It's the year where the silence was broken, and hundreds of thousands of women have come forward in mass numbers to share their stories of harassment and sexual abuse. We reached a tipping point as the hashtag MeToo movement gained momentum last fall and was shared more than 5 million times in 24 hours. It became a wake-up call and a rallying cry. When women and girls don't feel safe in our own bodies, so much is lost. But where do we go from here? Imagine a world where women were unleashed in the fullest expanse of their capacity and their creative, feminine, and sensual powers were able to fully manifest. It's time to lift the veil of shame that cloaks this conversation and begin thinking deeply about the topic of our sexuality, of how we relate to our own bodies, to each other, and to the world we want to create. One that's characterized by respect, empowerment, authentic connection, erotic intelligence, and joy. What a better society it would be for all of us. In this episode, I sat down with one of my favorite voices in the topic of human sexuality and relationships, Lene St. John, otherwise known as the Mama Sutra. Lene is not only a dear friend and a really fun person, but an expert on the topic of sex. She's a board-certified sexologist, educator, and writer, and received her doctorate in human sexuality from the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Lene and I covered a lot of ground in this conversation, and it really got me to thinking about how we hold the story of sex as a culture, the role of shame and fear in perpetuating the status quo, and how to create empowered sexuality and thriving relationships in our own lives. I hope you enjoy. How do you describe who you are and what you do? How do you want people to know you? (laughs) Um, How I want people to know me is something that I struggled with at first because I didn't publicly say that I was the Mama Sutra. Mm. When I first started blogging, it was anonymous Mm -hmm. because I sort of felt like I didn't necessarily want people to know what I was doing, learning about sex and, and such. But really quickly, it felt inauthentic oh, to not share that it was me. Because one of the the biggest things, as soon as you talk about sex, there's this whole other thing of like taboo and shame that oh, yeah. just sort of follows it around. It's, <laughs> it it's almost feels inextricable yeah. from that. Yeah. 
Where do you think that comes from in terms of our uh, historical legacy? Do you think that that's a, those are sort of in the myths and legends, like as early as we go back? Well, I mean, I mean, you could go into a whole history of like how sex has been taboo, starting from, starting with religion, starting with, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of history around sexuality and why we are, why we have so much shame and guilt. But speaking for me, mm-hmm. um, it was growing up in a family that couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't talk about sex. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even remember getting sex ed in high school. I do think that I was one of those kids that was opted out. Wow. Were you um, raised in America? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what, I was raised you? in the Midwest, in Iowa. Oh, wow. <laughs> I grew up in Iowa. Okay. Um, you know, someone found recently, there was this Disney video on YouTube, and it's about menstruation. Mm-hmm. And it's like really old, old mm-hmm. video. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny. Okay. But that was, I remember seeing that video mm-hmm. in class. To me, that's what sex ed was, was yeah. just about the diagrams of the human body. Yeah. I do remember in junior high, a little bit of talk about STDs. Yeah. It was all fear-based. It oh, was yeah. either fear-based or it was um, biology-based. Oh, but sure. none of it was relational. For sure. Which to me is like, it's the most important missing ingredient of when when would you want to engage in sex and how yeah. do you navigate the complexities of yeah. that? Has it changed? Um, no, not much. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. there's still a lot of fear-based education that's out there. There's still a lot of misinformation that's out there. There's something like only 13 states in the country allow or require, I should say, medically accurate information to be given to students. Really? Yeah. So what, what does it mean when you don't have that? It's <laughs> a good question. Huh. I mean, medically accurate sounds like it would be something really straightforward, right? Right. I mean, I try to compare this to like something else. How, where would we ever accept our math to be taught to students not to be 100% accurate, mm-hmm. you know, or science? It's no wonder we have such a challenge in orienting to our own sexuality when the stories passed down within our society around sex are so fraught with shame, guilt, and a lack of honest dialogue, and even misinformation. In our schools and institutions, we lack the tools to inform and empower our young people, and in most homes, the messages conveyed around sex are equally oblique. Lene and I dove in on the topic of taboos and the way in which silence and subtle messages around fear and shame lead not only to a lack of awareness, but an almost inability to even have an honest conversation with ourselves about how we feel and what we want and need. I would say one of the most common questions I get, like the thread Mm -hmm. of questions I get are around, am I normal? Mm. Is what I'm interested in normal? Hmm. I mean, I certainly grew up with guilt. I also grew up with shame embarrassment was a big one too. Mm-hmm. Like just this idea that something I was interested in could be so bad for me. Yeah. yeah. And you feel that in your body. Oh. I remember that feeling. It's like, um, I don't know, sort of in a pit in my stomach or my head would like start mm-hmm. to turn red. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's also these little messages that we give kids, even when we don't realize we're giving it to them. I remember a conversation, like mom would have friends over and they'd drink coffee and sit and chat, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, at least that's what my mom did as a stay at home mom back then. Um, and I vaguely remember a conversation, like I wasn't in the same room, but I was within earshot mm-hmm. and, you know, somebody 
had gotten pregnant. Somebody's mm-hmm. kid had gotten pregnant. Mm-hmm. And one of the people around the table I could hear was saying, boy, if that ever happened to my daughter, I'd disown her. Wow. And I mean, think mm-hmm. of that child hearing that message. Yep. You know, clearly this topic isn't safe. And mm-hmm. if they find themselves in that situation, mm-hmm. that's not going to be safe either, right? Definitely not. It's the opposite. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary situation. There's just not safe. Wow. So a child who's born into modern day right now in America, what do you think are the messages and themes that they pick up from the culture about (laughs) Um, sex? Oh, about sex. One of the things that popped up for me, even just coming over on the Mm -hmm. ride over here, Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of good models on healthy relationships, Mm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Even the sort of stories we get mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the greatest messages or we, we're interpreting them in a strange mm-hmm. way. Well, so what about example, the American dream? That's that's one of the dominant stories. Sure. How do you see that as related sure. to sexuality? What is what is that narrative? Uh, find a husband. If you're a woman, find a husband, get married, have two kids, mm-hmm. you know, move to the suburbs. You know? Yeah. But it doesn't so it's really a story time. about, I don't know if I want to say repression, but... Um, Minimal sexuality, right? Like not basically being as chaste and pure as possible is the, that dominant narrative, would you say? I don't know if I would call it chaste and pure so much as follow the script we want you to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a very specific script, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take into account queer relationships Mm -hmm. or, you know, any other configuration because it's not Mm -hmm. supposed to, you know, it's just not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Men were supposed to be the breadwinners mm-hmm. and women stayed at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but having gone through a divorce myself, I can see, you know, that mm-hmm. there's a lot of problematic stuff yeah. around like having right. her stay at home because then she's kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, if she doesn't have her own income, her own money, it's not right. Marriage isn't really a choice at that point. Right. <laughs> it's, well, it also um, strikes me that right now, um, it's the most sort of hyper-sexualized sort of media culture we've ever had. Mm, so, yeah, you yeah. know, looking back to the time of like pinup girls or something like that, yeah. or, or even what was it, the 1930s or something, you know, bathing suits. Like if you could see the ankle or the full arm, that was like, you know, really something. And now we're in a culture where five-year-old girls uh, are wearing crop tops and tiny little shorts and, you know, like the mass marketing is putting a highly sexualized sort of focus on, on beauty and skin mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. showing off and the kind of dance and all that sort of, um, makeup and everything is being targeted at younger and younger ages. So the big question I think of there is always, who is it for? Yeah, because all of this is, to me, it all seems to be for the male gaze, Mm. right? It's all for men. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's super creepy when you think about it in terms of like five-year-olds, right? Right. But I guess there's one example I can think of, like um, even something like performative bisexuality. Mm. Um, What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So um, best example I can think of of this is, and I saw it recently, I was with Ragnar at a at mm-hmm. an event, and uh, it was a dance event where there was music. Mm-hmm. Ragnar's her boyfriend, yeah, or yeah. Her, my, uh, her partner, my partner, yes. Um, and uh, 
there was a, a little, like a stage that was about, you know, 18 inches off the ground, mm-hmm. a bunch of people dancing on there. Mm-hmm. And there were two young women up at the front mm-hmm. and they were sort of grinding up on each other. And they weren't paying attention to each other though. They were looking to see who was looking at them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, for me, it's yeah. just, I can, I, I don't know. I see this and yeah. I think that who is that for, right? Like right. clearly they're not enjoying each other's company. Right. They're doing it for the look. Mm-hmm. As well as, uh, this is something I've noticed increasingly on vacation. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, all ages, um, but especially the young, very kind of teenager to early 20 women are spending a lot of their vacation focused on getting their their photo correct, <laughs> you know? So it's all about like, yeah. as opposed to the enjoyment of the experience yeah. on the vacation, it's yeah. like, how do I create this image of myself so that I'm appealing or yeah. liked or yeah. seen as beautiful? How many likes can I get on how this? How many likes can I get on this? Yeah. Well, so the other half of this, so the other mm-hmm. side, you know, the second part of the story, um, like five minutes later, there was another couple up on the dance floor and they were two women mm-hmm. and they were dancing very seductively, but they were doing it for each other mm. to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was so like, I got, I'm getting chills talking about it. Wow. It was hot. Yeah. Like, was yeah. So huh. like, you know, they were doing it for themselves and they were right. totally having, experiencing the pleasure of like touch and mm-hmm. closeness and mm-hmm. intimacy and, wow. you know, rhythm and dance yeah. and, oh, just all of it was, it was, it was gorgeous. It was just, so does that sort of in a way capture the difference between sort of where culture is and where you want to see it move? Well, I pointed that out to Ragnar. I said, can you see what I see here? Mm -hmm. Can you see that like these two aren't doing it for the pleasure, Mm -hmm. you know, the the real pleasure that's involved with like connecting with another person, but these two are like, does it, can you see what it even, what it looks like? Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, if you would never have pointed that out to me, I would never wow. have seen it. Wow. But, and this performative bisexuality, to some extent, hurts women because it sort of feeds this idea that men have that all women are into other women. Mm. And it's going to be a lot easier to get a two-girl, one-guy threesome going, mm. you know? And if a woman's not really into it, mm-hmm. like, how does she... But performative bisexuality means two women who are not bisexual, who right. are... They're heterosexual. Who are dancing in a certain way to attract men. Yeah. You usually mm-hmm. see it at frat parties mm-hmm. or, like, uh, clubs, nightclubs. Mm-hmm. It can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, if they want to do it, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, but I want them to, like, think more about, like, who is this for? Am I really mm-hmm. enjoying this? Like, mm-hmm. this is, is this something that right. really turns me on? Like, and, you know, I've, I'll admit that after I got divorced, I kissed a woman at a bar mm-hmm. once and it was doing it for, actually, was it, when was it? It was like early in my sex ed studies. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I, I wasn't enjoying it, but I was looking to see who was looking. Oh, interesting. You know, and, yeah. uh. And I talked about it with the woman and mm-hmm. she was like, you know, I didn't, I, I could tell you weren't into it. Yeah. Like it just wasn't, Interesting. it wasn't that great. And I felt the same thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> great. I kissed, right. a woman, you know, I kissed right. a girl and I didn't like really it. like it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it's not helpful. You know, mm-hmm. how then, how then do you get your two guy, one girl threesome mm-hmm. if, you know, mm-hmm. your partner thinks that, 
bisexuality for you is natural and not for him. <laughs> right, right. So what is what does empowered sexuality look like? What is the end goal that you're working toward with all of your education and your work? Yeah. So empowered sexuality to me is when a person can make conscious choices about what they want, when they want it, and who they want it with. Um that's what I want for my kids. Mm -hmm. I want my kids to be able to be informed about what they want to do when they want to do it. Um, and with who, you know, mm -hmm. whoever they want to engage with. I wanted to say something about fear though. There was okay. I wanted to come back to something we talked earlier about fear. Yes, absolutely. We do educate kids and surround all of the information with mm -hmm. fear. Mm -hmm. Even in, when we talk about STIs, for example, you know, not what STD. What is T what is STI? I'm not familiar with that. Sexually transmitted infections. Infections. Right. Because, oh, okay. um, STIs that are bacterial are treatable. Mm -hmm. You can get an antibiotic and, mm -hmm. and clear it up. Um, even those that are viral, mm -hmm. there are treatments, you know, viruses at this point don't have a cure. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can, they're all treatable. So, it's just the language has moved mm -hmm. more away from disease and towards Yeah, so it's less it's, stigmatizing. Is that the Yeah, idea? I mean, mm -hmm. certainly people live with herpes mm -hmm. and they live with AIDS and they live with HPV. You know, mm -hmm. those are those are viral. Mm -hmm. And they learn how to minimize the risk, mm -hmm. you know, or choose times when they're not an outbreak or, you know, whatever. Right. So right. you can you can manage it. And do you talk much um about sort of boundaries and alcohol and drug use and how that, because again, we worry about teenagers, but this is really true um, for adults, for adults <laughs> of all ages, really. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. There yeah. is that. So how do you, how do you talk to people about that? I mean, I've, I've known people who couldn't have sex unless they'd had a couple drinks yeah. or unless they were high mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think the, the first step is, is the noticing that that's how you are or that's mm -hmm. what you need. Mm -hmm. um, and then starting to look into, well, why is that? You right. Know, is it just that I, I can't let my guard down or that I, that I feel too vulnerable or whatever? What's mm -hmm. the, what, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to feel that vulnerable really. Mm -hmm. So I can, mm -hmm. you know, numb sort of myself to, yeah. yeah, to a point where I don't feel that. Huh. And then there might also be some complex way in which afterward, you're, you're more insulated from it too, because you sort of you have cast it. deniability too. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, I was so drunk. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, I think, uh, do you think are young people, um, and just people generally having more, well, actually I thought I'd heard they're having less sex. Yeah, uh, young are. people are having less sex. Statistically, so. it says that they're having less sex. And, uh -huh. um, and is pornography use going up? also or is that just well certainly the age that kids see it seems to be going down mm -hmm. the age of first Getting exposure younger and younger uh -huh. yeah i'd heard it was 10 recently i heard it was nine now so i mean that's not great right mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. i wouldn't i didn't want my kids to see that first mm -hmm. so i actually sat down with them when they were really little and i started when they were nine actually wow. because one little girl came over. She was mm -hmm. a family friend mm -hmm. and she was just starting to get her breast buds. Like she was yeah. just starting to develop. Mm -hmm. And naturally she was curious about boobs. Yeah. So she went to the computer and Googled boobs. Oh my gosh. And yeah. so my daughter, I'd already given my kids the talk. Mm -hmm. like, don't Google words. Like, come to me. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it. We'll get a book. We'll whatever. 
Um, and my oldest came to the stairs. She's like, mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I kept running up the stairs and I said, well, let's, you know, let's not do this. Mm-hmm. Let's, mm-hmm. let's find a book, you know, redirect right. it and talk right. to the mom. And <laughs> so this is, this is what happened. Uh-huh. But you have to understand what kids are trying to get at, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to find out, they're trying to find an answer. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the beginning, right. but right. You know, but a 16 year old boy who's regularly watching porn, that's, <laughs> well, that's something else, right? I, what is I that? don't think so. I mm-hmm. think it's still trying to figure out this thing that no one will talk about, mm. right? Like if this little girl wanted to know what boobs, what, what what's the possible, yeah. you know, what could I possibly look like? You know, mm-hmm. what is, what is this thing that's happening to me? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly if you Google boobs, you're not going to see stuff that's normative, right? That's also, yeah. Right. <laughs> but if you go to a museum mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, so, like you can see, mm-hmm. I've taken my kids to Kabuki. I took them when they were 10 to Kabuki. What's Kabuki? Um, is it a bath? It's a communal bath in mm-hmm. San Francisco where certain days are clothing optional. So all mm-hmm. the women go on one day and all the men go on mm-hmm. another day. And I first went there when I first started studying about sexuality and it was, I mean, having grown up kind of prudish in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. like I was petrified Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. at going in and Mm -hmm. and being naked around other women. Right. And I went in and I couldn't make eye contact with Uh people for the first, you know, 10 minutes or so. And, and, uh, really after about 10, 15 minutes, like I, I could do like little sips, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> little like sneak looking at other yeah. people with eyes down. Then I'd look up and then mm-hmm. I got more comfortable and I started to realize these are real people. Yeah. You know, these are real bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, in that experience, I got so much more comfort with my own body, wow. self-acceptance wow. about my own body. Yeah. Um, because you see everything mm-hmm. i mean depending on how many people are there yeah <laughs> but yeah. you're seeing everything Just age regular range size, of, of fitness bodies yeah yeah and yeah. tattoos no tattoos <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. it amazing yeah and at the same time it was also like this like wow this is really this is beautiful hmm. you know and then eventually i graduated up to harbin <laughs> <laughs> yeah harbin uh, i can't yeah. wait for them to open up again right um you know, Harbin was also an experience of being around naked people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably couldn't have done Harbin without doing Kabuki first, personally. Yeah. Because yeah. I needed to get comfortable with my body first before I could be around mm-hmm. naked men in a yeah. non-sexual space. Right. <laughs> in any space, in right? In any space. In um, any, yeah, public. And so having that experience for myself, mm-hmm. I then took my kids when they were 10. And that was a perfect age because mm-hmm. they're, you know, just starting to go through puberty. Yeah getting like comfortable with their own bodies Mm -hmm. and they got to get comfortable with their bodies too. So that's wonderful. And we've focused a little bit about sort of what the impact has been for girls a lot, but what do you think of as sort of the male narrative these days related to sexuality in our culture? I mean, the male narrative is, is tough as well, right? Cause you have, you have this idea that boys have to, be a certain way, right? Like be a man. Did you ever see the documentary, The Mask You Live In? Yes, I did. I highly recommend that for anyone who's listening. Phenomenal documentary all about the messages that men have to, boys have to deal with, with becoming men. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's, that's the biggest one right now. What's the crux of it for people who aren't familiar with that film? So the film 
starts off with a former football coach talking about the the words that are the most harmful to any boy growing up. And those words are be a man. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about how men are socialized, there's only a few emotions that they can mm-hmm. really show, mm-hmm. right? Like pride for a, a football team or their mm-hmm. sporting team, right? Sex, like mm-hmm. you know, the, the desire to have sex and anger. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. they don't really talk about the sex one in the, yeah. in the movie. Yeah, and the humor. Yeah, and yeah, humor, definitely. I don't know if that's an emotion, but yeah, those yeah. are kind of the those are those, those are the only keys uh, keys on the piano. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's also this like this sort of low undercurrent of homophobia mm-hmm. or heterocentrism, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you can't be a wimp. I think. I mean, they also mm-hmm. talk about that in the, yeah. in the movie. You can't be a wimp. You can't, you can't be like a girl. Vulnerability. You can't cry. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Emotion, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is is super toxic, right? And so that's where the whole toxic masculinity comes mm-hmm. in. Um, boys have to deal with that, and that's mm-hmm. heavy. It's yeah. So wow. know that you can't be vulnerable mm-hmm. around other people. I mean, it's even and, your own friends. Yeah, either, either of which is yeah, that's really. And this is where really we do hard. see the highest rates of depression and suicide, um, as well as conduct disorder, yeah. all among boys yep. and men. Yep. Yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, and you look at these, these mass shootings and yeah. so many of these, um, most kind of horrific manifestations of pain. Well, even look at how boys are raised. Lots of boys aren't hugged as mm-hmm. much. There's a certain point, and I don't know what age it is, maybe mm-hmm. five or seven. Yeah. That like, hmm, you don't need hugs anymore because you're, you're a boy, mm-hmm. you're growing up, you're going to be a man, you know? Wow. And I know plenty of boys I know plenty of kids who love hugs, who yeah. want hugs. Yeah. You know, we also have, um, um, I was told by a pre- um, kindergarten teacher that when a kid would come up and hug them, they had to like almost put, the, like put their hands up in the air as if they were being frisked because they didn't want to be accused wow. of touching the child inappropriately. Wow. Huh. That's really, I mean, think yeah. of how much time a day kids It's just, I mean, one of the things that really it was a male teacher from this way. whole conversation is the way that we hold sexuality is with so, it's so brittle and it's so unacceptable that it gets like channeled into these, these sort of chunks where all the sort of healthy kind of normal, yeah. normalizing kind of behaviors um, that would take like the steam out of the system are removed or not available. And so then you get these, um, I mean, I wonder if that contributes a lot to this dysfunctional thing around rape culture, around some of the abuse that we see, because, you know, if we could have less stigma around sexuality, more healthy sexuality, more conversations about it, more nudity, more hugging, you know, these sort of just sort of comfort things that are, that could just be part of our regular way of being. We talked about it at the very beginning, the, the disrespect of women. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of moved away from saying rape culture and moved toward calling it a culture of disrespect. Okay. Because it's, it's disrespect for anyone who's other than cisgender, which is, we can talk about that in a second, cisgender, heterosexual, male, able-bodied, you know, rich, rich. rich. There's a mm-hmm. whole like mm-hmm. series of, of adjectives yeah it's sort of this like apex male 
kind of ideal yeah. that as the alpha male, I mean, it's kind of interesting because that's who, that's who dominates the sex mm-hmm. hierarchy among, you know, gorillas and things like that too. So it's, well, but the, yeah. the guy who came up with the whole alpha wolf, mm-hmm. he even debunked his own, hmm, this, this, his own research because he said he realized upon closer examination that the wolves that were going off on their own were just parents. Mm. <laughs> so they were, there was less about an alpha Hmm. And more about just like going off to (laughs) start your own family. Next, we explored the topic of defining a new model for sexuality and considered the question of how does love relate to sex? How do we go from a construct of sex defined by shame to a more empowered model where we have clarity on both the kind of sex we want and calling into our lives the kind of relationships that nourish and fulfill us. I realize actually that we haven't talked about love and how love relates to sex. What is the, where do you see the most suffering creep in for people in their relationship dynamics? Mm, That's a good question. Because if lots of times if people, if the passion goes away, Mm -hmm. that they feel that that's a symptom of something wrong. Mm. with the relationship Mm -hmm. but I tend to find that things will cycle you know Mm -hmm. it might go away for a while or situationally stuff stuff might be happening Mm -hmm. in your life that sex does not come Mm -hmm. up as often or it's not as important or or you know work struggles or whatever what do you recommend to people who are having a dip in their passion side of their sexual relationship well I mean it's going to be different for everyone and mm-hmm. it kind of also depends on what else is going on right because mm-hmm. so it's really I mean, about looking then sort of taking a step back and looking at your own life and your patterns and so what's bothering you or sex usually mm-hmm. is is not the problem it's usually a symptom of something else mm-hmm. so like something like depression like if somebody's going through a lot of feelings of yeah depression unworthiness or, or fear or, yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, addiction is also symptomatic of another problem. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Mm -hmm. The, the conversation about love, love and healthy relationships. I mean, we teach sex ed in middle school and high school Mm -hmm. and then we don't have it again. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we find Esther Perel or something, (laughs) or, you know, at age 38 when we've kind of gone awry. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, most of the people when I tell people that what I do, mm-hmm. especially guys, will say, I know everything there is to know already. Because mm, they learned it from porn. They're talking well, about sex positions. They don't or actually know what they mean. Oh, interesting. Because they just say, Oh, I, I know it all, you know? And I don't know how much of it is just like a bravado about yeah. their attitude or, you know, huh. that they that they know everything. Huh. But I can own that I thought I knew everything too until I went back to school to hmm. really study sexuality. Hmm. And there is there is just, there's so much more wow. than we could possibly think we know until we mm. really go into it. And so, so do you think that's a hallmark of a, a really well-lived life is, is continuing to, to study and engage with sexuality as a topic? It has been for lives. me. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it wow. really has been for me. I've, I've started to think if you can get the sex you want, you can get the life you want. Ooh. Because if hmm. you really try... Hmm to communicate what you want and it's not just sexual right so like 
Mm-hmm. But it's a way to practice mm-hmm. asking for what you want, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it mm-hmm. kind of go, they go hand in hand. If you can ask for what you want out here. Yeah. You know, but I it's, love that. it's tough. Most of us don't have much, uh, many words to put to those things yeah. or even the culture of communicating about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you can ask for like, can I have a latte? Mm-hmm. But it's so Tall, much harder. Spiced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so much harder to say, spiced. I want you to pull my hair. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I don't want you to choke me mm-hmm. or like, you know, so, so there's like this, mm-hmm. this, so do you recommend kind of weaving it in during sex? Is that the best? Or, or do you find that people do better to talk about it in the abstract and then sort of play in the bedroom? It's actually, it's kind of depends on, on your style. Yeah. Some people can't talk about it until they're in the moment. Okay. Um, others, you know, need that freedom yeah. to be able to say. Do you it. have a, a series of questions that you have pulled together for people to? I have a bunch of questions. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I have a something... lot of stuff. Around yeah. This topic. I mean, it might be something we, we could offer to people listening yeah. to this episode. Would just be sort of questions I can that would help that. people unlock their own sexuality. You know, yeah. like even even if they're not in relationship right now, but just yeah. to sort of start that journey yeah. within ourselves of knowing. What is our desire? You know, what turns us on? What do we love? Because I just, I think we're so impoverished in our ability to talk about this because mm-hmm. of all these things we discussed. Mm-hmm. We don't even really know ourselves, much less our partners <laughs> a lot of times. So one of the, one of the last things I did before I met Ragnar mm-hmm. was I went on vacation by myself and I went to this resort where it was like, it was either families or couples. Oh, and I was by myself <laughs> oh, and I was miserable, oh, that doesn't sound but right. yeah, I, I sat um, on the beach mm-hmm. and I wrote what I called Lene 3.0 Ooh, I and it that. was, I it was that. a, it started off as like editing my dating profile for Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Okay. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? Like, what do you want? Where it yeah. started. Right. Uh-huh. And so there's another sex educator called the cunning minx. Um, she does a lot of stuff around polyamory and she had this like user's guide or user's manual or whatever. And so I, I kind of took that idea and blew it up. And so I had system requirements, Mm -hmm. which were like what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. Right. I had, um, the thing, my turn ons and turn offs, which were, you know, the things that were going to work for me, deal breakers, deal makers kind of thing. Um, end user licensing agreement like that was kind of a consent piece <laughs> yeah um and had all these like pieces it. in this yeah and um I showed it to a friend and she's like you need to make that into a workbook I love that like idea. that is yeah. that's something that people mm-hmm. you know it's like a sit down and mm-hmm. really examine what is it that you like yeah and actually the whole workbook or the whole book there's nothing really about sex because that would be a whole other workbook. Yeah. yeah but this was all just like what do I like what do yeah. I want? You know, such an important conversation to have with ourselves. Yeah. yeah. To really sit down and examine that and, and get clear. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, I mean, there's certainly people who believe that once you write it out, it happens. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I got with Ragnar. Wow. I mean, honestly, he hits everything in that little book that I wrote mm. of, of like the style, like, mm-hmm. He has no problem wearing a kilt, and kilts turn me on so much. But what I love also about that story is that it wasn't just that he appeared and already possessed every single dimension. Mm -hmm. It's that you're building a life together where you're actually 
drawing these beautiful aspects out in each other and making it possible and exploring yeah. yourselves and environments that, that yeah. allow for that yeah. playful expression. And I love it. So it's really, you're co-creating the reality that you envisioned. Yeah. And we've, I mean, we've tried, we've tried open relationship. We've tried a lot of different things together and, you know, thankfully in communicating, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what, what comes up for us. That's a, that's a hard one. Really, really, really is talking about what, what you feel, you yeah. know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's vulnerable. That's really, vulnerable. you know, yeah. how, where your insecurities are, you know, mm-hmm. I've bawled my eyes out to him, you know, mm-hmm. talking about whatever and to have someone who can hear you mm-hmm. and not judge you for it mm-hmm. and can sort of like come back Mm-hmm. And re- you can re-talk about it and revisit it and see, like, does this does this still work for us? Does yeah. it not work for us? What are we going to do? It strikes me that that probably creates the greatest fabric of emotional safety is the non-denial. Yes. yes. I mean, sometimes there's this sort of like, oh, let's just sweep everything under the rug. and Which kind of like your mom did. <laughs> your mom at the kitchen yep. table. It's like, we don't yep. talk about those things and they don't exist. But then there's this whole cavernous space. Yes. And so the ability to kind of reveal things in their complexity and talk Mm -hmm. through them and apply understanding. Mm -hmm. That's really what I would love. I'm I'm so grateful to you being on this podcast. And that's really what I'm hoping to do across a whole variety of dimensions. It's like, let's peel back those layers and look at what's really there because then we know that we're, we're orienting our lives from a a place of of truth of knowing ourselves first off and, and then living in that way. Knowing yourself first. I mean, Mm -hmm. writing that little, Lene 3.0 user's guide mm-hmm. was, was really, it takes tough. courage. It takes courage. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that I see is, um, compassion because mm-hmm. if we don't have self-compassion, um, it's very hard to have courage because yeah. if you come at, at things with a lot of sort of judgment with, which many of us sort of inherit, um, from our culture, from our families and that sort of thing, then it's very hard to be brave because without compassion, uh, there's, you're just going to open yourself up to so so much pain. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I thank loved you. this conversation. And uh, <laughs> I, I wish we could do, I want to do another one at some point too and, and learn more. There's so many little doors that are still waiting to be opened. We didn't even touch so. on attachment stuff. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a big one too. That is a big one. Well, um, <laughs> I would love to do one where we really talk about relationships because okay. I think uh, that's very ripe for yeah. exploration and it's something that Every human being, yeah. it's the cornerstone, right, of, of a fulfilling life. <laughs> I have so. a lot of interesting anecdotes, especially from my own experience with Ragnar on that. Like wonderful, yeah, the relationship yeah. piece and how it can really. Well, maybe he'd like blossom. to come sometime too. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> be full of jokes. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this very first episode of Life Revealed. You can follow along and learn about upcoming in-person events at liferevealed.com. To learn more about Lene St. John and her work as the Mama Sutra, please visit themamasutra.net. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to peel back the layers of the human experience with Life Revealed.